strangely enough, we're up to podcast number 23 on Home and Garden Radio. I want to thank you for joining us. On this edition, I talk about pesticides and more importantly about pesticide labels. So pay attention, okay, because you're going to learn something. I'm going to educate you in an entertaining and fun way. You need to also know that Home and Garden Radio podcast is the podcast version of our regular radio show that is heard on stations all across America on the BizTalk Radio Network. It's time to talk gardening and all things botanical. You're tuned to the Home and Garden Show with Michael Kroos. Hello, neighbor. Michael is a fun-loving family man who knows all there is to know about plants. <laughs> I'm a genius. He'll talk about outdoor plants, indoor plants, pest control, water gardening, pruning, grow lights, fertilizer, you name it. We're on in 10 seconds, so get ready to have a good time. Call Michael now, toll free. This is exciting, isn't it? And now, here's Michael Kroos. Do you have German cockroaches in your house? Hey, this week's edition of Home and Garden Radio is brought to you by the good people at HelpIHaveBugs.com. That's HelpIHaveBugs.com. HelpIHaveBugs.com. And speaking of needing help, I have bugs. Well, no, I don't have bugs, but guess what I came in contact with today? And well, actually, yesterday, and brought home, and and I have it in my garage. A a lady gave it to me. It was in her garage, and she didn't want it there anymore. And I have no idea why I took it. I have absolutely no idea why I took it, but I took it nonetheless. And what is it that you took, Michael? What is it that you took from this nice little old lady who gave this to you? I will tell you what I took. I took a one-gallon jug in a glass one-gallon jug with a metal top on it of 70% chloridane, 70% active ingredient chloridane. Now, chloridane has not been on the market since 1985. It was widely used in the 1940s and 50s and 60s and 70s, for crying out loud. It was used for many, many, many purposes. Uh, gosh, I used to spray lawns with it to control mole crickets back in the early 70s. Um, it was used in termite work. It was used... Uh, the the Pest control companies used to come spray it around your baseboards once a month inside the house. And, and it was just everywhere. Everyone had chloridane. And everybody used chloridane. And then it was later banned. It was actually uh, restricted, I think, somewhere around 1980, maybe 1978, 79, 80, somewhere in there, to only be used in the ground for subterranean termites. But yet, but yet, even though that was the case, you know, it had that, it said on the label, that's the only place you were allowed to use it. They still sold it. I remember seeing it at Kmart in the uh, garden center, 70% chlordane. In those days, they had it in plastic jugs. 
and the one gallon containers. And it said on the label only to be used uh, for subterranean termites in the soil. But everybody was using it. They were spraying around the outside of their house with it. Uh, they were spraying it under lawns for ants. I got to tell you, nothing controlled fire ants better than chlordane. It was, you know, farmers were buying it like crazy. Well, then finally, in 1985, they said, that's enough. It's got to go. It's got. It's just got to come off the market. And off the market, it went. And as a matter of fact, usually when they take a pesticide off the market, they let all the existing supplies of that pesticide be sold out and used, okay? Because they don't want to have to deal with all the disposal and all that other stuff. They, you know, if, if a pesticide decides that, you know, okay, we don't want this pesticide used anymore, they just, and it, Dursban would be an excellent example. Now, the government didn't take Dursban off the market. Uh, Dow Chemical took Dursban off the market because they saw writing on the walls, I think. I mean, my opinion. But they voluntarily took it off the market. But when they stopped manufacturing it, all the, the Dursban that was still sitting out there, out in the, the world, uh, was allowed to be sold and used. And it probably took up to a year to get it all totally gone off the market. But when it was gone, it was gone. Well, Chlordane in 1985, when they said we're done with Chlordane, they were like done with Chlordane. And they had it all pulled off the market and taken away. Same thing with a product called Keepone. Now, Keepone and Chlordane and Aldrin and Dildrin were all chlorinated hydrocarbons. All of the chlorinated hydrocarbons have all been taken off the market except for one. I bet you don't know what that is. There is one chlorinated hydrocarbon that might be in your house right now, and it is still readily available. Do you know what it is? Mothballs. Yeah, mothballs still on the market. You can still buy them. You can still stick them in your sweaters or do whatever. My mom, when I was a kid, I remember going into the closet in the wintertime or in the summertime because, you know, they hung all the sweaters and all the jackets in the one closet at our house at 528 West Michigan Avenue in Battle Creek, Michigan. And uh, in there, in, in all the pockets and, and also hanging off the hanger, were mothballs to keep the moths from eating the sweaters. They were just there. They had them, you know, they were in our closets. I inherited, when my mom passed away, a cedar chest that uh, had been in my family since long before I was born. Uh, it was a lane cedar chest. And it's where my family kept all of its precious treasures. And I grew up with this cedar chest. Well, this after mom passed away, I got the cedar chest, but I didn't bring the cedar chest over to my house. I just for a lot of reasons couldn't. And here a few months ago, I finally uh, brought the cedar chest over to my house and I opened it up for the first time in years to go through it. And in the cedar chest was all of my family's treasures, as well as some of my late mom's sweaters, which are still in the cedar chest yet. Haven't quite figured out what to do with them, but guess what else was in the cedar chest? Yeah, you got it. Mothballs. Still in the cedar chest, probably from the 1950s or 1940s, but there are mothballs still in the cedar chest, protecting mom's old clothing that is in there, along with all kinds of other treasures that were in there, from bugs. 
you know, you'd think that the cedar itself would do it, but no, nah, wasn't enough. Mom, mom decided she wanted a little more than that, so in went the mothballs, and they're still there. And anyway, I now have a gallon of 70% chloridane. Now, I had been collecting chloridane over the years because I determined that someday I may want to build a house. And when I build the house, when the foundation was laid, I was going to put the chloridane all over the foundation to make sure I never got termites because any house that was ever pre-treated with chloridane would never get subterranean termites. just never would happen. So, and then when chloridane went off the market, that, that whole situation ended. And a lot of houses, by the way, that were built in the late 80s and early 90s, all of those houses get subterranean termites because the products that they had on the market in those days to control subterranean termites didn't work. So all of those, that's, you know, why the termite companies all make money now, especially from the houses that were built in the late 80s, early 90s, until uh, the... Uh, until the neonicotinoid class of termiticides or insecticides came on the market, homes were very unprotected. So I had collected a lot of chloridane in case I ever built a house. Well, with the neonicotinoids hitting the market, the chloridane, in my opinion, was no longer needed. So they had a thing at the Cooperative Extension Service one day where they said, if you've got pesticides that you don't want, just bring them down. And I just decided, you know, I think I had like three and a half gallons of the stuff. I just decided that I should get it out of the house. So I took it down there and gave it to them. And off they went with it. And I have regretted it ever since. I don't know why. I just felt so <clears throat> yesterday, gallon of chloridane handed to me. The, uh, the date that I could find on the label was 1962, Valsico Chemicals, Chloridane. Incredible. So I have it. It's in my garage. Don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I have it. Maybe I'll become one of those preppers, and I have this to protect myself from insects if the world comes to an end. I mean, who knows? You know, the stranger things have happened. So other preppers have things like flashlights and, and things. By the way, I, I have a prepper that lives across the street from me. He's quite good at it and very serious about it. And people who are preppers, my, my, my best buddy Ralph has become a prepper. And people who are preppers are very, very serious. You want to know something? They're probably smarter than all of us. I'm not a prepper. I'm totally unprepared. Although I have this nifty little flashlight that I, I got... Uh, that I picked up, this nifty little LCD light that I picked up, and I gave one. I bought a bunch of them, as a matter of fact. And I gave one to my buddy Ralph, and he just thinks it's the greatest thing in the world. It's his first line defense for light because it's got two buttons. One is actually a flashlight, and the other is this big flood of lights that will literally light up a, a whole room. Anyway, we will continue right here on Home and Garden Radio on the BizTalk Radio Network. And now back to your 
Michael Cruz. And back to me. And so what am I going to do with this gallon of chlorine? I haven't a clue. I'm going to hang on to it. I'm going to hoard it. Yes, that's it. I hoard gallons of chlorine. You know what else I have out there? I have a fuller brush. Chloridane household pest control spray. You know, like Raid, it was Fuller Brush's version of Raid. But the active ingredient, I bought this on eBay to use when I gave uh, talks on pesticides. I um, used to, still, I need to start doing it again. As a matter of fact, I kind of miss it. But I used to teach recertification for horticulturists and uh, uh, pest control operators. And I used to teach recertification classes. And one of the classes that I taught, and I guess I still teach, I'm still certified to teach it, is what we call core, which is all about pesticide safety and all this good type of stuff and the labels and everything. So I, I bought this and I take it with me when I give talks and I pass it around the room so people can read the label because uh, pesticide labels are very, very interesting. You know, when you go out to Home Depot or, or any of these places and you buy a, uh, a bug spray, for your garden or for your house or for your trees or for whatever. There's a lot that goes into that label. And, you know, we have an, a saying in the industry that the label is actually the law. And it is the law. The label is the law. And there's a lot of interesting things that happen on pesticide labels. Uh, that, uh, you know, a lot of mandatory stuff that needs to be there. Do I have a pesticide label in this studio? I don't know. I don't see one. Let me see if I can. Let me see if I can pull up a pesticide label, and I'll I'll discuss this with you. Uh, let's see here. Let me try a. Uh, uh, I'm I'm doing this right now on the air. Label. Okay. And you just heard my cell phone, which means I got a text message. I guess I should shut that off. Yes, here is a pesticide label that I have popped up in front of me that I just pulled off the internet. Now, pesticide labels, as interesting as they are, um, they have, uh, I'm shutting the sound off on my phone there. They have, all pesticide labels have certain things in common. One of those things that you need to look at is called the signal word. Probably one of the most important things on a pesticide label would be the signal word, okay? The signal word, and there are, by the way, three signal words. There is a signal word called danger, okay? If you see that, you got yourself a bad pesticide. Well, not a bad pesticide, but you got a, you know, a bad pesticide. Uh, I mean, you've got a pesticide that can do a lot of damage to you and to the environment and indefinitely to the bugs that you're going to spray it on. Danger labels are the most toxic pesticides that are on the market. Rarely, by the way, do you find pesticides that you can go buy that have danger labels on them. And, you know, and you would think, well, I need to buy organic because if I buy organic, I won't have that. Well, that's not true. There is an organic pesticide called um, nicotine sulfate and uh, black leaf, I think, is one of the brand names of this, which is a totally natural organic p- 
pesticide that has a danger label on it. This stuff will kill you so fast. I mean, I won't use it. I won't have it in my possession. It is a danger label, okay, Um, or danger, danger signal word. The other thing that we look for on signal words would be warning, you know, like warning, Will Robinson, warning. Warning is also a pretty toxic insecticide, but it's not as toxic as danger. Uh, So, you know, that is the other signal word. And a lot of pesticides that are on the market have uh, warning labels on them. All right. You've heard me talk in the past about Demon WP. Demon WP has a warning label on it. That means it's pretty toxic until it's diluted. When it's in its diluted form that you use it at, it's not too bad. But in its original form, uh, you know, in the container, it has a warning label. Pretty intense stuff. And then the next signal word that we look for on all of the pesticides is caution. And that is what the overwhelming majority of insecticides or pesticides that are on the market today have is the caution label on it. And those are the least toxic insecticides. And, you know, insecticides have come a long way in the last 10 years. Uh, the pesticides that are on the market today, and I'm talking about the chemical as well as many of the organic pesticides, um, are safer now than they have ever, ever been. And I'm talking about all of the newer pesticides that are widely sold. Everything from Bayer that you find at uh, Home Depot or Lowe's or your local garden center. I think everything that they sell is going to have a caution label on it. It's going to be a very effective pesticide. And in my humble opinion, safe to use. Okay. This is because the technology and pesticide production has increased rather dramatically from where it was, you know, 25 years ago, 10 years ago. Keeps getting better all the time, as a matter of fact. So the signal word is the, you know, one of the main things that you're going to find on a pesticide label. The other thing that you're going to look for on a pesticide label, and I think this is very important, is the active ingredient. And, you know, the active ingredient of a pesticide is the active stuff. Pesticides, when they're formulated, have the actual stuff in it, and then they have filler or called inert ingredients. And the active ingredient, usually on pesticides that are on the market today, are going to be very, very small in their percentage at like, you know, 10%, 9%, you know, whatever. It's going to be very, very, very small. And then the inert ingredient is going to be very large. The inert ingredient is the carrying uh, uh, material that sends the pesticide out. It's what it's mixed with in order to be distributed among your plants, for instance. So those are the one thing, you know, those are something that's very important that you want to look at because you want to know what the active ingredient is. If you are a serious gardener and you're going to be using insecticides, you need to know what the active ingredient of those insecticides are. I implore you to know what the active ingredient of your insecticides are. And I need you to read up on these things a little bit. You can go on the internet and you can find all kinds of stuff. A very popular active ingredient that's in a lot of pesticides today is bifenthalin. It is a synthetic pyrethroid. It's very low, but on the active ingredient uh, ratio, it has that caution label, the least toxic, but bifenthalin is, or we call it bifan, 
uh, is out there a lot with a lot of different brand name insecticides. You will find active ingredient bifenthalin. So that's important to know and to know, you know, what these different pesticides do. So imidacloropid is another one. Bayer owns imidacloropid, although there are generic versions of it now, but Bayer is the one who invented it. So those are things that we need to look at. We'll continue this discussion here in just a few moments, and we will talk more about And now back to your home and garden expert, Michael Cross. Yes, back to me, and I don't know, we just started talking about pesticides, and we started talking about the pesticide label, and I told you to, if we could review, about some of the important things that are on the label, the signal words, you know, danger, warning, or caution, okay, and then I also told you about the active ingredients and inert ingredients. Now, uh, the other interesting thing about the active ingredient and inert ingredient Uh, you have to know what the active ingredient is. They have to tell you what the active ingredient is in a pesticide. In other words, there are no secrets. Well, yes, there is kind of some secrets when it comes to insecticides. Um, The secret is in the inert ingredient. Now, the inert ingredient is designed to add volume to the pesticide and you know it's active ingredient very small inert ingredient very is very big they are not required to tell you what is in the inert ingredient now understand they are obligated to tell the environmental protection agency the epa which by the way approves these labels approves these pesticides they are you know obliged to tell them what is in the uh, inert ingredient and the toxic levels of the inert ingredient and what is in there. And the real trick, you know, since, you know, they came out with the law that says you have to say, you have to decl- disclose what the active ingredient is. And that is correct. Um, but they don't have, you do not have to disclose what the inert ingredient is. And that inert ingredient sometimes is what makes that pesticide work well. There are for instance, imidacloropid has very small percentage of active ingredient in the product. And then the rest of it is inert ingredient. Now, Bayer, who were the first people to manufacture uh, imidacloropid under different product names, uh, had to, you know, once the patent ran out on imidacloropid, then generic people were allowed to do it. But what made Bayer's version of the product work so well was the inert ingredient, which they did not have to disclose. Okay, now understand that inert ingredient had to pass all of the safety features as far as toxicology is concerned. But, you know, they could put secret whiz-bang stuff in there. And when the generic versions of imidacloropid started hitting the market, the effectiveness of the generic versions of the imidacloropid, uh, as I was reading on a lot of these boards on the internet from industry professionals, that a lot of people just weren't happy with all of the, or some of the different generic versions of imidacloropid. 
uh, one in particular that was manufactured, I believe, in Mexico, was getting very bad reviews. But, you know, and people are saying, but it has the same percentage of imidacloprid. It must work. No, it was that inert ingredient. And I will tell you also on baits, for instance, ant baits, uh, baits that are used for ant control. Most of them have a very small percent of insecticide and a lot of them, that active ingredient of insecticide that are in many ant baits are simply boric acid. Now, some people are now using a metachloropid and you're using some other products as the active ingredient just to spice things up. But, you know, what made ant baits work wasn't the active ingredient. The boric acid would work fine. But what made ant baits successful and what made them work so well was the secret sauce, which was that inert ingredient, which was that matrix of bait, which attracted the ants to eat it. Okay, Amdro is an excellent example of that. Now, the active ingredient for years in, in, in Amdro was a product called hydromethylon. Hydromethylon is a very good bait type product. But what makes Amdro work so well is not the hydromethylon. I mean, that's just the dirty deed that kills the ants when, when they eat it. What makes Amdro so spectacular and, and works so very well is that inert ingredient which attracts the ants to eat it so that they can eat the hydromethylnon, which so they can eat that active ingredient. And I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to find out for love nor money what the, you know what that inert ingredient is made up of. That's why Amdro is so effective if you use it correctly. So many people don't use Amdro correctly. But if you use Amdro the way the label says, it works every time. Which, by the way, is the next part of the label that we'll talk about here in just a moment. But first, I, I want to expound on that inert ingredient thing, that, that uh, you know, the secret sauce. It, it can make or break a pesticide. I had a buddy. His name was Cliff. He, I was on the board of directors of Certified Pest Control Operators of Florida with him a number of years ago. He was an old pest control operator from Fort Lauderdale. Not old. He was young. He's a very young man, family man, lots of kids, great guy. Cliff was just having a terrible time controlling ants, so he worked hard, and he created his own ant bait using 6% boric acid and a secret sauce that he created. He called it Outsmart Ant Bait. He got an EPA approval for it and started manufacturing it, and he gave me a sample of it when I was down in Fort Lauderdale one day. He just gave me a sample gave me two little tiny syringes, two or three little tiny syringes. He said, try this out on your next ghost ant or, or sweet ant problem. Just try it out. Well, I looked at it and read the active ingredient. I had absolutely no confidence in it at all. I said, oh, Cliff's a nice guy. Cliff's a nice guy. I flew home from Fort Lauderdale that night, and I had these things in my briefcase, and I took them out and I put them on my nightstand. And because uh, I just didn't want them in my briefcase. And I was pulling out the paperwork from the meeting that I had gone to. And I was laying in bed reading the, the paperwork. And then I went to sleep. And in the middle of the night, the former Mrs. Kroos wakes up 
and she wakes me up. I said, what's going on? She goes, we have ants in our bathroom. You've got to do something. You have to go take care of the ants. And I'm like, it's two o'clock in the morning. I get up and there's a line of small ants, odorous house ants in my bathroom. And they're, they're, they're just trailing right along across my bathroom. Mrs. Crows is totally freaking out. She said, you got to do something. Well, you know, I could have gone at that stage out, you know, to the shed at that house and found something. But I remembered that ant bait that I had absolutely no faith in. And I, I took it out and I, I put a, a couple of, I took the syringe and I put a couple of drops of it next to the line of ants, not on the line of ants, but next to the line of ants. Then I set the syringe down on the counter and I didn't put the top back on it and it was dripping out a little bit uh, on there, but I went back to bed, you know, it's in the middle of the night and I figured that would pacify her and I would get up in the morning and take care of the ants. Well, not 10 minutes later, she's waking me up again. She goes, you got to come into the bathroom. You're not going to believe this. I go into the bathroom and every place where I'd put droplets of this outsmart ant bait gel down, the ants were just circling it and eating it. And then they had actually left their trail and gone down to the counter and were all over the syringe that I had left open. And the tip of the syringe had just tons of ants on it trying to eat it. I said, well, goodness gracious. So I, at that point, I took the syringe and I put a bunch of the ant bait around and there I went out and I drank some water and took some Advil and and, uh, you know, watched a little bit of TV and walked back in there 10 minutes later. And every place I had put this stuff, there were ants just chewing on it. I mean, just, you know, in, in no time flat, by morning, all of the ants were gone. They had died. They were taking this stuff. They were eating it. They were taking it back to the nest. What Cliff had developed here with this product was an ant bait with only, what, 6% boric acid in it, the active ingredient. All right. But uh, the importance are the only small amount of boric acid meant it wouldn't kill them right away. It would kill them slowly. So they were eating it like crazy and then taking it back to the nest. And by morning, the ants were all gone, as well was all the bait that I had put down was all gone. They had eaten it all, taken it away, and, and were gone. And the ants were history. And Cliff had a winner. Product was on the market for five years, Cliff had to sell his pest control business, move his manufacturing business up to North Carolina, and uh, Cliff got sick and died. And when Cliff got sick and died, young man, his wife decided, they were very religious people, wonderful people, she decided that was a sign from God. And uh, by the way, she made it very clear that she didn't think that the outsmart ant bait had anything to do with it, but she just said that it needed to die with Cliff. And now back to your home and garden expert, Michael Cross. Do you have German cockroaches in your house? Hey, this week's edition of Home and Garden Radio is brought to you by the good people at HelpIHaveBugs.com. That's HelpIHaveBugs.com. HelpIHaveBugs.com. 
Continuing now, talking about the difference in the pesticide labels and all of the things that have to be on a pesticide label. We've talked about the signal words. We talked about the active ingredient. We talked about the inert ingredients and how that's where the secret sauce is made. Another thing that you need to look for on an EPA or on a pesticide label is something called the EPA number, the EPA registration number. This, ladies and gentlemen, is proof positive that this pesticide has been tested for both efficacy and toxicology and everything else having to do with, you know, that pesticide being okay for you to be using it or to be used near you. So you need to look for that EPA registration number. Now, the other interesting thing is next to that number is something called an EPA establishment number. And the establishment number is the number of the, well, it's an identifying mark of the manufacturing facility that makes the product that, you know, that creates the product. And uh, that, by the way, the, the the last two things that you will see on an on a EPA registration number uh, is the country or state where it is born. So if you happen to see a registration number and KA, that means it was actually manufactured in Kansas or CA, California or FL, Florida. Or uh, if it was manufactured outside the country, it will state that it was manufactured outside the country, such as China and things like so we want to you know look at where a particular insecticide is manufactured and make you know that's just more information that you can have now the other thing that i want to talk about a little bit and there's more to a pesticide label that has to be on there such as first aid instructions uh, exactly how to use it and i guess i should talk about that if a pesticide label says on it that you use one ounce in a gallon of water and can treat 500 square feet. One of the biggest mistakes that people use, and I, I have given talks all over this country and the Caribbean, and two countries in the Caribbean, and I run into this everywhere I go. Everybody thinks, and I'm not, I'm not saying everybody, a whole bunch of people, the overwhelming majority of people that I run into think that if the label says one ounce in a gallon of water over a 500 square foot area, then golly, why don't I put two ounces in there to make sure that it's really going to kill them? Because it probably won't kill them. The only thing it's going to do is maybe hurt you because you are doubling up on the active ingredient that you're putting down. And by the way, just to let you know that if um, a pesticide says one ounce and a gallon of water for 500 square feet, they have had to prove, they have had to spend literally millions and millions of dollars to prove to the Environmental Protection Agency that that rate is going to very effectively control the pest or the weed, for instance. In the case of Roundup, for instance, the first version of Roundup came in, and there are several versions of Roundup. They all have uh, glyphosate as the active ingredient. But when Roundup first hit the market, it was $128 a gallon, and I forget what the percentage of active ingredient was. But at those days, if you wanted to control grassy-type weeds, you mixed three ounces in a gallon of water and sprayed it over 
I think that would do, I think, if memory serves me correctly, I could be wrong, a thousand square feet of grassy weeds that it would eliminate. Uh, and some idiots said, well, gosh, if three ounces in a gallon works, let's put six ounces. And guess what happened? The Roundup wouldn't work because it was designed for that active ingredient, glyphosate, uh, diluted the way they said to dilute it and applied and the rates that they told to apply. That is how that particular active ingredient, the glyphosate, actually entered the plant through the green part of the plant, went through the chlorophyll and worked its way down to the bottom roots. Now, when you doubled that up, it burned the tips of the plant thus not getting into the circulation system of the plant, thus not working. And in the case of insecticides, if it says one ounce in a gallon of water and you can treat 500 square feet, if you put two ounces in there, most insects or all insects have, you know, have senses about this. And they close up what's something called spiracles, which they breathe through, which is on their abdomen, on the base of their abdomen all over their belly. They have these spiracles with have little tracheas in it that they breathe through. And if you double that rate of pesticides, they know whenever an insect feels danger coming on, they close those spiracles off and the pesticide doesn't work. And these pesticides have been tested in millions of dollars, millions and millions and millions of dollars have been spent saying how much of this pesticide will the insect's not close up their spiracles, not notice that it's there, not be adversely affected by it so where they will come in contact with it to enough of that active ingredient gets into the best, into the bug and kills the darn thing. But if you put twice as much as you're supposed to, it doesn't work. And the other thing that you've done is you've put twice as much toxic stuff in your environment that isn't going to kill bugs, but it might hurt your cat, Okay. You don't want to hurt your cat. You want your cat to be healthy. You want your puppy to be healthy. You want bunny rabbits to be healthy. You want little ducks to be healthy. You want dead ducks on your property? Double up the pesticide. Ducks walk through, they die. I'm telling you, these things are designed not to hurt animals or little ducks, little baby ducks, at the rates that they are applied that they're supposed to be applied. But if you double up or and I've known people and I've given talks and I've said, well, I tripled the amount. It still didn't work. I doubled it, didn't work. So I tripled it, still didn't work. I said, did you try it at the recommended rate? No. Well, try it at the recommended rate, but don't do anything for a while. Let these stuff kind of like go away. Stop being, you know, just, just do it the way the label says. The label is not only the law, but the label is the scientific fact that makes these things work and understand somebody just didn't sit down and create this stuff out of the you know and just decide this is how it's going to work they had to spend millions and millions and millions of dollars doing all kinds of testing to make sure that they work so follow the label instructions hey we'll see you next week everybody take care you can contact michael at home and gardenradio.com